whatever business you're in, you have to be able to learn the business. You have to understand the inner workings. And I think that that's so critical. So when I think of business acumen, I am thinking about the customer, how I fit into that role, and what are um, all the different functional areas that, that support that customer. So to me, that's what business acumen is. Welcome to episode number 63 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got my friend Joy Schnur joining us as our our first guest in our mini-series on the importance of building the skill of business acumen in individuals and in teams. Joyce is Senior Vice President of Product Strategy at Kaplan North America. And Joyce, I'd like to welcome you to the show and thank you for sharing your talent and insights. Thank you. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be doing this. I've been listening to your podcasts and obviously we've known each other for a very long time. So I'm, I'm very thrilled that you asked me to be a guest. A, a very long time. And for our uh, listeners, I have the legacy, legacy Kaplan Financial uh, coffee mug that uh, I probably was produced in the late 2000s. So a little little plug for the, the part of the Kaplan business that you run. Uh, Cap- yes. It's just a, par- a part of, uh, of, of your portfolio, but the, the old Kaplan Financial, so. Absolutely. All right. So Joyce, uh, as we always do, before we get started, it would be great if you told our listeners your story. Absolutely. I have been with Kaplan for 16 years. I started my career uh, as a certified financial planner. I worked in the wealth management space. I worked at uh, a company called the ACO Company, which is part of Goldman. And then I worked at Deloitte for a number of years. And when I worked at Deloitte, I was teaching in a Kaplan partnered program at uh, Duquesne University uh, here in Pittsburgh. I'm from Western Pennsylvania. And for a number of years, from about 2002 to 2006, I did one of our weekend executive CFP programs. And in 2006, Kaplan asked me to come on board and head up faculty for the CFP. It was a big decision from a career perspective because I had been working one-on-one with customers and now I was going into the education field. And a lot of people have asked me over the years, how did you make that change? Why did you make that change? And it it became fairly obvious to me as I was teaching. When I was working with individual customers, I was teaching them about financial planning, their, um, their own net worth, how to grow, how to think about retirement. And I loved the field. And I realized as an educator working on the education side, I could expand the amount of people that's really necessary to support, um, everybody that needs, I I firmly believe this, um, the help in planning for their financial futures. So I made that leap and I came over to the education side and I uh, headed up the, the, the faculty for a period of time, ultimately took on the responsibilities of the CFP product line, moved into financial services about circa 2010, where that cup uh, came from, and now grew to really heading up product strategy and and the entire business and financial services product lines uh, within Kaplan North America. 
Yeah, that, that's great. Do you, uh, do you do you think that most uh, financial advisors? This is kind of a loaded question, but do you think that most financial advisors view their role as that of an educator? Uh, I I think if we had more financial advisors thinking like you did, uh, that uh, that 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 you that you're an educator and obviously a relationship manager, uh, but that education component uh, would would we be better off? I absolutely, I firmly, I firmly believe that. And you can even look where um, on the wealth management side, on the financial planning side and CFP, you know, the content has moved from just technical content to understanding uh, the business psychology and working with uh, customers. So all of that absolutely works together. And I think the better planners, not the order takers, but the better planners are the one that see their role as, as educating their, their customers. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So every show we ask this question, uh, and there's a method to my madness here. Uh, at, at some point, we're going to put all of these together uh, for, for mm-hmm. our listeners. But if you had to pick one event in your life that was just a key accelerant, put rocket boosters behind your career, what would that event be? You know, I've, I've had a career for 35 years and there's a lot of events and there's a lot of stories. So people that know me uh, know that I have a lot of stories. And in fact, my daughter for Christmas uh, this year bought me a book about how to write your first book because I'm collecting my stories and I'm, I'm going to put them into, into book form at, at some point. But nice. I was thinking about this question and, and there's a couple of stories that, that um, involve you and there's, there's a few others. So I'll probably share one that uh, is prior to my Kaplan career, because I think it fits in with the theme of of what we're talking about today. Very early on in my career, I was an analyst. And so I worked with a financial planner. I put together what we called surveys, which were basically big books of balance sheets and soup to nuts, everything about our individual customer. And our focus was corporate executives. And we had a particularly difficult corporate executive who was a president of a division of a large uh, large um, Fortune 500 company, and he was retiring at the age of 65, the day he turned 65, because that's what you do. And did. <laughs> so at that point, he had amassed a lot of wealth. Um, a lot of it was in retirement plans. There was something called an excise tax. And I did all the analysis and I had been pushing my boss at the time to take me to some of the client meetings because I really felt like I needed to be in front of people as opposed to just doing the numbers. So he took me to the meeting and we, we had so many exhibits and things to put in front of him. And my boss was said, you can come, but don't say a word. And I was like, okay. And we were sitting across from the client and he was getting kind of overwhelmed and confused. And so he turned to me and he looked and he said, tell me, what would you do? And if my boss could have kicked me under the table, he probably would, (laughs) but I was sitting too far away. And so I, I had analyzed everything. I knew his overall situation probably better than anybody in the room. So I proceeded to tell him what I thought. And I, I put it and consolidated it down to easy points for him to digest as opposed to the, quite frankly, CYA discussion that was happening because there was a lot of technical things that we had to go through. 
I still, for my 19 years, I worked with that customer and his family. He's so appreciated. But what I learned from that was have a voice, do your homework, and be prepared for whatever situation that you're in. And I, I vowed at that point to always have that voice and to, to know that I have value in whatever situation I might be sitting in. So I think that was, that was early, early on in my career. Have a voice, do your homework. Gosh, Joyce, I, I really, really love it. Uh, let's dive into the topic at hand, uh, which is very much interconnected with what you just talked about. Uh, when you hear the phrase business acumen, what does that mean to you? To me, it's, it's foundational in that whatever business you're in, you have to be able to learn the business. You have to understand the inner workings. When I was listening to um, your your setup um, introduction to this series, you know one of the things that that you talked about was really having um, a knowledge of of that business, the flow, what it takes to get the product to the customer, and I think that that's so critical. So when I think of business acumen. I am thinking about the customer, how I fit into that role, and what are um, all the different functional areas that, that support that customer. So to me, that's what business acumen is. Ah, thank you. You know, we're, we're collecting, uh, as this series progresses, we're collecting those definitions. Uh, mm-hmm. e- each, each of our guests has, uh, you know, has a slightly different twist, and I, I, re- I really really like yours. Uh, also in the series, um, uh, you know, there's a method to our madness uh, because we're, we're going to focus on the, the how and the, you know, what do we do? How, how, do, we, how do we make the world a better place? Uh, so let's dial the clock back to uh, elementary school, to primary and secondary education. Uh, we know that there are a lot of humans that go into the workforce that are not prepared for the world of work. In your assessment, what needs to change in primary and secondary education to improve business literacy, which is the precursor of business acumen? You know, the interesting thing about this is, as, as you well know, there is, as I talked about the, the technical aspect of a designation that I have versus the, the human aspect and the skills that you need to, to do your job. That's really hard to identify when you look at primary schools or secondary schools. But when you think about it, um, this really starts early. You know, there's the, there's the old, um, you know, I think there was a book that came out that said 30 plus years ago, everything I, I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten, right? So what did, you know, what did you learn in kindergarten? You learned about communication. You learned about respect for teachers. You learned about um, sharing and, and collaboration. And, and I think that those are all really important skills in, in primary, in, in, in a primary school setting. But what I think is missing as you progress through your grades is the ability to do problem solving. So many parents these days attempt to problem solve for all of their children and their needs. And they, um, they don't let the kids work through those problems. They feel more 
I'm going to call that parent or, you know, I'm going to talk to your teacher or I'm going to talk to the principal where you have to let the students work through their problems. And I, and I don't think that that is something that is generally recognized as it's just an important skill from, from when you get into the business world or the work world, you are solving your own problems. You're not calling your mom and dad. Although my daughter at the age of 31 calls me every once in a while and says, mom, I've got this problem. Like, what do I do? How do I handle this at work? So I appreciate that I'm getting the counts, giving counsel at that, but she, she still has to work through that on her own. I'm, I'm not calling your boss. Although we've had, you know, we've had several customers where we've had parents call and ask, why did you pass my son or daughter? Right, it's, right. it's intriguing to me. But I think that problem solving is something that is not um, on the forefront of maybe what teachers are doing, what parents are doing and, and setting um, their their children and um, the students up for, for success. So that's one of the things. The schools are all over communication. They now have speech classes and communication classes. But I'm not sure that they're developing content and curriculum where students can work together to solve a problem. You get some of that in college, but I really don't think you get too much of that at the high school. It's very individualized curriculum still at this point. Yeah. So problem solving, critical thinking. But I, I, I love the, the, the primary message that I heard through that is parents, we, we've, you know, and I've been guilty of this. We, we have to stop enabling. And, the, you know, it's a, it's a fine line between enabling and mentoring and coaching. Uh, a mentor and a coach o- allows uh, their, their students to fall down and get dirty and, uh, and, and make mistakes. And as parents, I don't think we, uh, I don't think we do that enough. Well, absolutely. It's, it's hard to watch sometimes. It is. But it's, it's such a necessary skill to teach that, that ability and then the resilience that they gain from being able to solve their own problems. Yeah, very cool. So, Joyce, now let's move on to post-secondary school. Uh, and I, we're running little thought experiments with our guests here. Uh, imagine you have a technical college or university chancellor sitting right in front of you right now. What advice do you give to them to set their graduates up for success in the workplace as it relates to building this thing called business acumen? You know, at, at the university or technical college or any type of, you know, post-education for, for a for a skill, there has to be, you know, the, the technical or vocational schools do a much better job at this. They are hands-on, they are doing the job. There's um, the, the, the experiment, the experience that they're going through. That's harder to replicate in an institution that's focused on the academics, on the technical piece of, of that degree. And I think that there has to be, um, uh, opportunities. And I, and I feel that there's a tremendous amount of opportunities for students to get involved, but are they getting involved the right way? You know, for example, when, when I, when I interview someone that's maybe coming out of school or, or coming to us, you know, uh, not directly out of school, the resume is such a focus of what they, what they, what they have and they put in front of us. They want to read through the resume. They want to 
tell you all the clubs and the things that they were involved in, but I want to hear about what they've done within those clubs. And so many times there's not that focus. It's about, you know, checking the box. Oh, I was president of this um, sorority, or I was involved in this particular club, but what did, what did you do within that? You know, what, what was the activity? And, and I think that sometimes it's, it, it's different, right? When you're going from high school to college, those colleges are looking for that long resume of all the things that you were involved in. But when you're in college, I think you have to be a little bit more judicious and, and really spend time on the experimental, experiential um, opportunities that you have. I, 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 I even follow this in, in my own life currently. Many times people ask us to be on boards in our communities and different things. I only serve on two, one, maybe two at any given time because you can't devote the time to that board. You can't provide them the knowledge. You can't gain anything back if, you're, if your time is too split just trying to build up your resume. And I think that's the difference that college students have. And I think that universities should offer them such rich experiences that they feel fulfilled and they're learning from those experiences enough to take those skills into the workplace. So it's being smart about the opportunities, guiding, coaching those students into picking those those type of experiences to learn from. And, and I think that that would be a tremendous change. I know when I, when I talk to people, when I want to hire them, I want to hear about what they've done. I want them to have an opinion of what they could do for us. And I don't go through and ask about all the items in their resume. Sometimes that's off-putting for people. They're like, wait, wait, wait you don't want to hear about everything that, that I've done, all this good work and this. No, I don't. I want to hear about what you learned from that. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, Joyce, we're going to take a really, really short break for an important commercial about my book, Balancing Act, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back. Joyce, we talk a lot on this show about alternative paths to workplace competency, skills, skills-based hiring, and the reskilling revolution specifically. Business acumen, much like skills uh, like emotional intelligence, rely on a portfolio of skills. If you had to pick two sub-skills that are absolutely essential to improving business acumen, what would they be? That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, there's, there's a lot of those, those sub-skills. But one of the ones that I've focused on, and, and in my, my current role, my team and others within the organization, I've really focused on curiosity, being curious learning um, about about the business. I think that that is so in, incredibly important. And one of 
one of the things that I, I worry about sometimes when, when people get into the workforce, think about what their, what their lives have been. Oh, I'm going to elementary school, check the box, graduated. I go to middle school, check the box, graduate from high school. I'm going to college or I'm going to a technical school or I'm entering the workforce. That, that education is checked. I'm done. But if you are not learning your entire life, I think that that is something that people don't think about checking that box. And that's easy to do. You don't have to go into a formal education environment, but you have to improve your skills. And one of the ways to do that is to be curious about the business that you're in. If you are, then you will learn new things. I, you know, I work with different functional groups. I will tell you, I do not, um, you know, digital marketing is, is not my thing. I've spent more time recently learning about digital marketing than, than I have in the past, just because it's, it's, it's a huge part of, of what we're doing in, in our community. So I'm curious, I'm asking questions, I'm finding out about that part of our business. So I think that that is really so, so important. I think the second one, the second sub-skill that I would talk about is kind of in the area of, um, you know, assuming good intent, assuming that when you're talking with individuals in other departments, that they are thinking about the customer and you are thinking about that customer and you may have differences. There might be some really constructive conflict that might be happening at the time, but everybody has that customer in mind there. You assume that they have good intent and working through that, that constructive conflict, I think is really important. You know, one of the other things um, that I've, that I've used and as I've, you know, been in a leadership role, I've told people many times, listen, I only have time for one person on my list at any given moment. You can fill in the blank on your blank list. (laughs) Yes, my blank list. And so people will call me up and they'll say, Joyce, you're going to be mad. This happened or that, that happened. And, you know, we had an issue here and I'll say, that doesn't even make the list. Right. And it, it helps people to, to realize that there are some conflicts. There are things that are going to not go right. um, As we've planned, there's going to be conflict but we'll work through those and those are not, not big issues and people need to be comfortable having those difficult conversations as opposed to trying to kick the can down the road or not being transparent. That, that gets a business into trouble all the time. Yeah. So what I heard was uh, curiosity, lifelong learning, and then being able to engage in, you know, constructive feedback, constructive conflict, and and assuming those best intentions. I, so many of us, uh, myself included in the past, have gone into those conversations with assumptions about how it's going to go, and 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 you you reap what you sow, uh, right? In terms of those expectations of uh, of that. Conversation. Conflict. You did a great job of setting me up for this weekend's uh, Saturday morning muse uh, is going to be on constructive conflict and tips uh, for for that. So um, 
that that'll be out there for for our listeners. Now, Joyce, I want to run a, a one more thought experiment, uh, and we've all seen this individual. Uh, the individual with the blinders on who just wants to do their job along the value stream and not learn anything else. Uh, so suppose you have that individual with the blinders on or that middle manager who's questioning why they should invest the energy to learn more about how the entire value stream or the entire business functions. How do you coach them to make that investment of themselves? It's a little bit easier when you're in an education company, because I can always lead with that saying, listen, we're about learning and and this is about lifelong learning. And you need to understand not only the customer, but the other functions in, in the business. Of course, we all recognize that there's certain people in organizations that are the doers. They, they are getting things done. They are important elements of, of, um, the, the workflow um, that we have in getting our product to customers. But they can't have such blinders on that they don't see that the decisions that they're making are affecting other parts of the organization. That's when managers get called in most often to say, hey, listen, I need help with this department or with this individual, and they're not, they're not getting out of, out of their lane. It makes a manager's role so much easier if you set the expectations with your with your teams that that is the expectation. You are to understand what's in the best interest of the customer. You are to work, you know, collaboratively with those groups. And I always recommend sometimes we're so focused on what we do. When is the last time I would say to people, and I've used this several times, when's the last time that you went into our learning management system and acted like a student? When's the last time you went to the website and tried to buy a product? And how how does that work? You need to be that student because you may not feel that you're impacting that student experience in your little defined role that you're in, but you absolutely are in some measure or form. And taking and understanding not just internally what you need to do, but external to our customer is so critically important. And I challenge people to, to do that. I'm also very intrigued. A um, lot of companies that, you know, I, I read about, there's a, a more systematic approach to rotating people through functional areas. And I think to the extent that you can do a ride along or you can, you know, sit in a, in a meeting and learn about a function uh, it's it's so critically important. You may not be moved to another department, but you get a sense of what they do and how they are hopefully focused on that same customer experience that you are wanting to achieve the same outcome. And then you become, um, you know, much closer from, from an organization perspective. So I think that always bringing it back to lifelong learning, focus on what the customer is, uh, gets most people out of the funk or the the lane that that they're in. Yeah, well, thank thank you for that. You know, we when you and I were working together, uh, our dear friend uh, Andy Perkins would uh, would would talk would say, you know, let's not have any tourists uh, in 
uh, in this meeting. You know, if you're if you're if you're not here to learn and contribute, then you then you don't belong. I, so I've been thinking a lot about that tourist concept, and uh, you know, to build business acumen as leaders, I think we the, the mistake that I made was. Uh, was thinking too much about the tourists and not uh, not thinking about educational tourism within our within our businesses. That it we we need to make it okay to ride along uh, mm-hmm. with the intent to learn and grow and take learnings back. Yes, uh, Andy's uh, Andy's. Uh, 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 mindset of, you know, let's, you know, don't be a tourist, uh, you know, that that's still valid because, you know, it, uh, but if the, but it has to be okay if the tourist is there uh, with the intent to learn and take things back to their team. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what I said in the verse, you know, what lesson did you learn early in your career? And it was have a voice, understand, yeah. you know, and you might just be contributing to the conversation for a decision that needs to be made, or you may be asking questions to learn. And that's okay too, yeah. because you're going to have a different perspective than other people sitting in that room. And sometimes that perspective needs to be heard. So uh, we're nearing the end of our time. Uh, this is our last question. Uh, earlier this year, we had General Assembly Chief Product Officer Danielle Cherkop on the show. Mm-hmm. You're a product. Uh, you're a product uh, leader. Danielle uh, was on the show to talk about accountability and uh, product management. As we close out today's episode, how does improved business acumen help improve accountability? First of all, I think it's understanding what all the processes are necessary to get to the customer experience and to the product that that you want. You know, sometimes we we look at accountability as what are our revenue goals? What are our operating income goals? What are our student outcome goals? But there's so many parts of that story that Different groups have to be accountable for different things. That's ultimately the goal of the entire organization. I I, I certainly understand that. But there are pieces of accountability, getting the product to market on time, um, being good partners to the other um, business functions that you have, getting them the information that they need uh, in a timely manner so that they can do the next step in the process. So everybody should have the accountability to what the ultimate goal is but being that good partner in the interim and being accountable for your own work and timely uh, timeliness, I think is so critically important because we, we are all about what is that process flow and how long it, it, it takes to get those good products to market. And it's frustrating when you're working with moving parts, but making sure that there's clear accountability and timelines in effect will make that process so much smoother and ultimately, you know, give us the best outcomes. So working through that upfront, knowing what that, those timelines are, I think is incredibly important. It's, it's all about planning. You know, you, you plan, you succeed. Yeah. Well, I, uh, and thank you for that because, uh, 
you know, in my, in my new book, we, 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 it's called the balanced business. And I talk a lot about flow along the value stream. And I think that's really one of the things you were alluding to mm-hmm. that accountability comes from smooth handoffs, good planning, uh, sharing goals, uh, et cetera. Uh, so ultimately, uh, we can build organizational trust. So in my new book, it's flow first, then comes accountability. And finally, uh, uh, as an output from that, uh, trust will, will build and grow. So uh, thank you. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't plan that bef- before the show <laughs> at all. <laughs> but um, Maybe I know you a little well. Um, you know, I, yeah, I know. maybe so. Maybe so. Um, Joyce, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, thank you. And any final words for our listeners today? No, you know, thank you. And, and uh, you know, I so appreciate uh, your counsel over the years and I, I am really loving what you're doing. Um, and I, I think these messages are, are, are something that, that a lot of people can hear and learn from. And so thank you for, for what you're doing. And I appreciate you um, bringing me on as well. Well, thank you for using your voice today. It's very important. My name is Andy Tempty. We've been with Joy Schnur today. Uh, This is the Balancing Act podcast. We're on all the major podcast services, and we're now on YouTube, so you can watch the video version of this show uh, out on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, rate, share, all, all that fun stuff. Because as Joyce said, you know, we're, we're here to uh, contribute back to society. We're here to pos- uh, bring positivity uh, to the world of work. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the show. Thank you.